podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield app, Neil Atkinson, Mike Nevin, Gareth Roberts and John Gibbons with you after Liverpool have gone to Bournemouth uh, and been beaten by four of your goals, to th- well, th- four of their goals to three of our goals. Um, coming up, we're going to talk through all the usual aspects that have come out from the game. Uh, first and foremost, we'll talk about the feelings. Um, John Gibbons, it, it, it felt... It hurt. It, 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 it was a gutting result. If we'd have just gone there, not turned up, not played well, got beat 1-0, uh, it probably wouldn't hurt as much as this game, given the way it played out. Yeah, I was completely gutted after the game. I was. It took me ages to kind of to kind of get myself around, really, to, to kind of, um, you know, having a laugh and, and enjoy my friend's company again because it was just, I just couldn't believe what I'd seen. I couldn't believe we'd thrown it away. And it was just, you know, you start thinking about, all the insecurities, but we, me and my, I found Mike Nevin wandering the streets before looking for the office, and so we had a bit of a chat on the way up, and we were talking about him, you know, all your insecurities about the team coming back, your worries about the goalkeeper not being up to it, your worries about, you know, the defence, and your worries about the kind of the mental toughness of the team, really, and and their ability to play well when it's not 100 miles an hour, and the things that kind of gone away, or you've forgotten about, or, or in some cases you thought you'd overcome it, and, and then they all kind of came flooding back to me on Sunday night in a, in a very unwelcome manner. Yeah, it's the, well, go to Mike next then, uh, as he's having off-mic chats with Gibble. Um, <laughs> it is, it, it's, it's what John said there, but it's, it's also just simply the way in which the football match plays out, not even just the way in which Liverpool play. When they play well, when they play badly, but just simply the the run of the goals, two 0 and three one, on top uh, at both stages of the game, and then to emerge not just not with one point, which would have felt bad enough, it would have felt like a defeat. It almost feels like two defeats is what I'm driving at. I feel mm. like we've been beaten twice in one day. Yeah, probably beaten twice in ten minutes uh, because I mean, I think I was more gutted at their third than I was at the fourth. I'm generally, completely gutted and just sort of referencing. About there and how long it took him to get over it, and I'm not over it now. Won't be till, no. ne- won't be till next Sunday, to be perfectly honest. But it, I mean, it, the, in terms of acute feeling of disappointment, probably not since we lost to Chelsea in the key game in 2014 have I felt that disappointed and that upset about it. But I think the, the thing for me, and Gibbo's right to say, it sort of opened up all the old, old wounds, all the insecurities that we've had at the back of our minds about this team. That largely this season we've been able to to put to bed, and but they all came flooding back in the space of about twenty minutes. But the the worst of it for me was that I was in me in my own sort of text group. I was texting people at two 0 saying we're really sloppy here. We've been poor. We've been poor for twenty minutes. And even at the start of the second half, before they scored again, I thought we were we were slow out the blocks coming out second half. And I think there was a sustained period before Bournemouth have even scored, um, where Liverpool just aren't they're just not at the races. Well, there's something on this. We, I felt we really came out cold second half, Gareth. And people throw it, and I've referenced it in my review, people throw around words like complacency. And I just sort of think we came out cold in that we just we just weren't there, we weren't right. But for whatever reason, whether it's a couple of the Macarian injuries, I just thought we came out cold second half. And over the weekends, I think United and Chelsea both come out cold second half. I've seen all three of those games, us and those two. And Chelsea come out cold second half, but they get spurred into life. They get one goal and then they go from there. United end up hanging on against Everton when they're obviously vastly superior to them. And we did the same thing and we end up losing the game. And my point about this is, you come out cold, but it's then what you do next. And now you kick on. And I thought when we got 3-1, I thought, right, okay, we've got... I was actually thinking, we've got away with one a bit here, Mm. but we go from here and it transpired we didn't get away with one. I actually thought, um, you know, it wasn't sort of the the, the stereotypical game of two hours, if you like. Because I actually thought they started knocking off before... Our time, yeah. because 
I was I was really I don't know why you know just when you just get a, a certain thread of thought in your mind and this happened to me I when I was watching the first half I just it was in my head about Liverpool pressing about the the gagging pressing and all that sort of thing and so I started watching that as a thing as I'm watching the match if you know what I mean yeah. and so I was watching it and I was thinking they're on it here they're good they started well and and they, Bournemouth couldn't get out Bournemouth couldn't play because every because there was there was players swarming over them like like you've seen so many times. But by the end of the half, that wasn't happening. Yeah. They were starting to get space. They were starting to get time on the ball. And I was thinking, well, why, why is that happening? We shouldn't be getting complacent just because we're 2-0 up. And I think, collectively, they seem to think, oh, well, that's, that, that's job done here. And, and it was weird as well because I've seen people say, you know, sort of how well we played that first half. I wasn't as convinced, really. I thought we controlled it. But I wouldn't particularly say we played well. So I thought, systematically, we were working as a team, like I say, with the press and... But in terms of individuals, in terms of moments of brilliance, I wasn't seeing that much of it. And I, and I think, you know, both of the goals as well that we score, I don't think it's great defending by Bournemouth on either of them. I mean, Origi's a, a brilliant finish from that angle, but it's, it's down to the fact that the keeper's done a mad one. And, and the other one, you know, the defender's got to be looking at himself that he doesn't even get a challenge in on Mane to, and he just toe-pokes that in. So... Yeah, I didn't think we'd played that well, and then it, and then it, and then it got worse second half, and then they, they really did knock off. And, and as you have all said, it, it is really gutting. Not uh, what hasn't been mentioned is it's even more gutting in the context of how the league's gone yeah. and how this weekend had gone. If it, it, it really felt sort of must win, if you like, as every game does when you get yourself up there, and because of what we'd seen over the weekend and a couple of big. Hardens and then out and Arsenal now looking like the the back on it. Even Tottenham getting in a win and, and getting closer to us. I, I just thought we've got to win this one, and then to lose it in the manner we did, well, I, I was criminal. And I agree with you. I wrote something on our Facebook as well that it felt like we lost the game a, more than a couple of times. If you know what I mean, because you know two 0 we've won it. Then we throw it away by handing them a penalty. Three one we've won it. And then we throw it away again, and it's just like it, it's really hard to take that because you just think, as a as a group, those boys on the pitch and the manager should be able to win from those positions. I think they looked. I mean, I, I I'm inclined to agree with Gareth in the sense that I thought we were playing all right first half, and we got two good goals, um, and they are good goals despite the defensive. and Origi misses from four yards. Yeah, as before well, that as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are we are we are on top. We are foot, we are dominant yeah. and. But I, I agree with Gareth. I said this previously. I think it, it was the drop off at two 0 before half time that set the tone. I think for for us coming out. Why cold. do you think that drop off happens? I, well, I do think it's complacency, do and you? I don't think it's complacency in its, you know, sort of purest sense. But you know, watching watching it at home like he did on Sunday, when when the second goal goes in, you actually think, you know, game. It's not game over, but yeah. you, you feel that there's a cushion there. I can sit back and I can relax and begin to enjoy watching. Some of the football that I was expecting us to, to to move into, and of course, but but by half time, as I say, I was quite annoyed really that we hadn't taken the opportunity to really press on. And I mm. think it's as I say, it's not complacency in, in in one sense, but it is in another because naturally, if you've got a slight drop off because you're two nil up, you should really be playing the game as as though you're one nil up or or at nil nil for as long as you can until it well and truly is gone for the opposition. And I just think we offered them the opportunity to slightly get a foothold in the game, put some passes together, play without pressure on the ball as much as we would normally um, do. And that they, they just gleaned some confidence stage by stage through that first half, early part of the second. What I think is dead interesting, and maybe I'm wrong, is it's, it's tactical. This is going to sound like it's a criticism of a player, and it's not really. I think the right centre-forward for us at 2-0 is Firmino, and it's not Origi. 
that I think Origi's done really well. He should have a goal, but it's good movement from him. He gets his goal, it's a really good finish. But at that point, Mike, without Lallana in midfield as well, it felt a little bit like, you know, when you're talking about there's less there's less pressure on the ball, there's less pressing. Well, Firmino does a lot more of that than Origi yeah. does. Just naturally, again, this goes back to the idea that people say, you know, that people say Sturridge, use Sturridge as an example rather than Origi, so it doesn't sound like I'm getting on a young lad's back. I mean, point about this is people say, oh, Firmino works well harder than Sturridge. He does, but Ian Rush worked well harder than, than Fernando Torres. Yeah. He, you know, the, the, this isn't, it's simply a characteristic of the footballer as much as it's anything else. And I was watching that sort of, the last 15 minutes there, and the idea of, and you can't expect necessarily, for instance, Henderson to do it. You were going, well, who's leading the press here, boys? Who's, mm. who's the one who's going, right? We're just going to close. We're going to get back to where we were. We've had five minutes, which is fine going off it. But then when it got to, say, 33, 34, there was no one going, right, I'm going to get us back on the front foot here, boys. And that's what I was watching. Again, I don't think, I don't think they've gone... This is in the bank bag. This is too easy. I just think that there's no one there who naturally goes right. I'm going. I'm going first ball. Come on, boys. You're all coming with me. I and I thought that, that was. Messing. I mean, I think there's something in all in, in a lot of what you say there. I mean, I think for me, you know, because Origi's playing for me, for me, you know, he's displaced a little bit from his from his best position, which is far, which is more central, and therefore, you know, that's a place where he would be involved in the pressing. Um, I think Origi as well. I'm not convinced that he's that he's the arch presser anyway. I mean, he's not that type of player to me. He's, no, he's just not that player. He, he's he, he's gangly. Uh, he makes runs, but they tend to be sort of runs into the channels or or you know like the, like the one where you know, that he scores from, which is you know it, it comes it's out, out out wide on the right. Um, and I think also, I mean, you've got to reference the fact that as a direct replacement in yesterday's game, he come in for Coutinho. Now, I think Coutinho's sort of defensive presence is also something that we we. We miss at times mm-hmm. because he's so creative, but it's not just the work that he gets through defensively, but the position that, that he occupies on the pitch. It's quite narrow, quite central. And I just thought as a theme yesterday, as the game was beginning to be lost, you, you saw that quite familiar and quite disturbing pattern where they were just running through us, right mm-hmm. through the middle, through the middle of our midfield, and were just really slow on the turn. And I think the the lack of pace really in the, in the lineup was exposed for the first time really this season, in a manner that Rogers' teams began to get criticism for, where Gerard was was on his last legs and was getting turned. And I think, you know, if you look at Henderson, Ronaldon and um and Shan individually, none of them have got great pace. They've all got real good qualities and they're all good players. And at times yesterday I thought they all had good games for a while, mm. but none of them have got pace. Now, if you get a t- if you get a team running at you through the middle, but it, as I say, just going back to the first point, it starts at the front, and it's about the press from the front. And but if you, and about if where you, you lose the ball, I mean, for the second goal, Origi loses the ball. He's just he's a, like, there's five ahead of him. The there's thing about the thing about Origi, you know, I mean, he, he, let's face it, the lad's got two really good goals in his in, in his last two games, but he's an he's an untidy footballer. And what, another word that I was using throughout the first half and early part of the second half is how sloppy we were. And and Origi's sloppy, he, he's sloppy defensively for the third goal, I think. Where he makes a ridiculous half ass challenge, he turns his back on things. But equally, there's the one where he gives it away, um, which is the I think I can't remember which goal it was now, but he gave it away really readily. And I just think, I mean, this isn't isn't intended to be a criticism of him per se, but he's not this. He's not for me the type of player that particularly suits the way that we're set up. I think he's far better in a four four two. Uh, okay then, um, we'll do the opening question before we get back to it all, uh, and it is this from Lewis Holden. Uh, what's the best thing you've ever drawn, John? Drawn? Yeah, what's the best thing you've ever drawn? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. No, my, my, mine is when I was I did art. I was going through sort of when you do art when you're young, and I wasn't very good, but I drew a really good tube of toothpaste once. Yeah. Yeah, just like like absolutely nailed it. 
Uh, <laughs> honestly, you asked me to draw a tu- tube of toothpaste, Mike, yeah. you'll get a tube of toothpaste. Uh, I used to I used to do drawings for, for Laura when we first started going out, so just oh, remember I, this now. Yeah, you uh, romantic. I know, I, I, well, I've packed it in, so... It's, it's one of the many things that goes when the initial fire of the relationship, John. <laughs> <laughs> Stop drawing pictures for it. Yeah, finished. Yeah, We're finished. Yeah. So I did. I do. I did the mundanity of the I, rebuilding the house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just. I'm just at the tip all the time now. <laughs> um, so we used to do little drawings for her and, and little daft ones, and then she used to put them on the fridge where she lived with her mum and dad. And her mum used to go mad all these pretty stupid pictures. Um, so I do like just silly ones. Like I had one. There was a polar bear and. A, and I can't remember what the other animal was, but one that lives nowhere near a polar bear, and they're looking at each other, and one of them says to the other, oh, one of us is lost. And it was just like silly things like that, and it makes her laugh, she likes animals. So we polar bear was pretty good, I think. Okay. Good, good, good. Uh, Mike Nevin, best thing you've ever drawn? Um, two things just immediately came to mind. I wasn't a great artist, but I enjoyed drawing <laughs> with pencils. And um, that's obviously my teens, that's early teens, <laughs> I, I must add. Um, I once drew a really passable... Um, caricature of Kenny Dalglish. Okay. Uh, the young Kenny Dalglish. Yeah, it was really good. I wish I still had it, um, but I haven't. Uh, and then the other thing I did as well was, I think it was for an art homework, was I actually drew uh, two basketball players going for the tip-off. So they're basically, they're jousting, they've got their hands up, they're going, they're going for that touch of the ball that wins possession for their team. And then I, and I actually painted it as well. For a man uh, who's saying he's not much of an artist, yeah, goodness, it sounds intense. Yeah. Sounds like probably better, work. probably better than I give myself credit for. But, yeah, yeah. Don't uh, talk yourself yeah. down. And I still regularly draw cats as well on on cards and stuff. When we're sending cards, we always send it from the four of us plus the cat. And I normally just do like a sort of a very small second, you know, second long sort of image of, of a cat. Will you do the office of cats for Christmas? Yeah, it won't take me long. <laughs> good, good. Gareth, I, 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 I might, I might even do it in, during the rest of the show when Gareth starts. Gareth. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I've never been a great drawer either. Um, I, I sort of swerved art at school because it wasn't, it wasn't happening for me really. But, um, but what I, I have always done is I've, I've always loved comics. In fact, I still buy the Viz every now and again now for partly, partly because it appeals to my base humour and also because it's cartoons. Um, and so I, I think it's easier to draw cartoon figures that are passable, if you like. And so what I used to do was always draw. And what I liked that, that I did was basically draw 40 matches, but but draw it like a, a comic, if you know what I mean. And so I got quite good at doing like the goal with all the supporters behind it. And then what, I've always, done, you, I've done and then what you always yeah. do is the, the, the keeper arching his back, yeah. tipping it round the corner, but where you can only see like his open mouth and the top of his nose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's, he's arched back, tipping it over the top of the bar. Or, or that like sounds pe- quite quite skillful, that. So you, you hide short. parts of people's faces yeah. to get perspective and stuff. That's really good. So I've done them, and, and, and I was quite sort of proud of a couple of them that I did. I used to read, like, Buster, Wizard and Ships, Dandy, Bean. I used to get loads and loads the of comics. St- Wizard and Ships, much underrated. Yeah, it was, it was very good, Wizard much and Ships. So, yeah, I used to sort of mimic the styles in those in those comics as much as I could. Okay, uh, 40 more minutes of football. Uh, I've never read the Wizard and Ships. It feels like it's something I need to Have uh, a little look into it. Have a look into it. 40, well, 40 more minutes of football, but also I meant to say at the start of the show we're going to be speaking to uh, Neil Wilby about the uh, Betterson book that's come out. He's written a definitive blog, uh, absolutely slaughtering it, frankly. Uh, and I don't want to sort of... <laughs> Clue for what happens next, but we're going to have a good chat with him uh, later on, uh, me and Gareth, and that's going to be coming at the end of the show as well. But let's talk, let's almost do it back to front. In fact, let's not necessarily do it until the end of the game first. Let's let's start 
How good's that lad Fraser? Is he messing? I, where on earth did they pull him up from? Uh, I could not believe... He's been believe... kicking around for years, hasn't he? They, they paid a few hundred grand for him, and I think he's been kicking around the club for a, quite a while without ever making Best 50 minutes anyone's had against us. They gave yeah. him man of the match. Yeah. Rightly yeah, so. Yeah, the sponsors yeah. gave him man of the match, yeah, over the tannoy. Um, I mean, I, I guess... I don't even know where he was playing. I didn't even know what his first name is. It was just this this lad terrorising us, and I was thinking, will someone do something about this? It Can seemed someone... like they threw him on almost, didn't they? With, with, and it was just, just go and make something happen. Maybe yeah. we've, we've, we've We've lost this, if you like, and he had an absolute freedom, I think, to to do well, what he wanted, which which helps him. Do you know what I mean? He's not he's not coming on with any pressure on him. Well, is this he? is this is me thing here on this, and I go to Mike on this. My worry about this to a certain extent is 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 but Eddie Howe basically makes three subs, and I think I was the idea that he just wants to keep the ball more and have an outlet. I think it's actually a defensive change. Rather, it's like we need to have someone we can just go feet to hold it and run a bit, but even run backwards at times. But then I think I think the tactic from Eddie Howe is almost make this mental. Make this mental and they won't be able to cope. Make it bananas, make it end-to-end, make it a game of tennis. Just absolutely, just disrupt everything. Don't do anything conventionally. They barely mm. passed the ball ball in the last, last 10 minutes. Mm. They're just blamming it into the... You know what I mean? I think the whole... And it's a perfectly valid tactic. My worry is suddenly, do Liverpool look susceptible to madness? Is almost my point. We couldn't tame the game at all. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly added a, a different dimension to, to things. Um I was forewarned because my daughter plays a lot of FIFA and she knows stuff about players from their FIFA profiles. And the serious point is that they're relatively accurate. And she said he's good this fellow. I and mean, I'd never really sort of, I didn't even know who he was when he comes on, but he basically did everything that that, that I was warned about. And yeah, I, I, yeah, it, I mean, but the game did go mad um, from by by comparison with the first half, where it was relatively. Sanitised, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it, two it, it, sides. It, it, one was better. One it, was acquiescent to reality. And it was a it was a typical one thirty game where the home crowd I and mean, it was it was utterly silent coming yeah. across on the TV. Yeah, there was, was no atmosphere whatsoever. It's a weird. Sorry, Mike. It's, no. it's just generally weird down at Bournemouth. Like they all support other teams. Yeah, as well. Chelsea yeah. flags. Everywhere. Yeah. So I I went to the pub after the game and it was home fans only. But you know I, I needed a drink and thought sod it. What are they going to do? So me and Josh went in and I was just chatting to people about the game because it was that mad and I just was trying to get my head around it. And the, this fella goes, oh, it's a bit of a mad one for me because I support Bournemouth and Liverpool. Mm. And I'm like, all yeah. right, okay, that's a bit weird. And then his mate yeah. goes, oh, you're late, me. I support Bournemouth and Chelsea. And I'm like, this is just dead odd. And he's like, yeah. oh, in Bournemouth, you just support someone else as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was, it, it's all dead odd. So I think, like, they go and they're, they're just sort of not that bothered. The whole football club feels like it's just, it's just something to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, for yeah. all of them, for the players, for everyone, it just feels like, you know, it's like, oh, that, yeah, and... Saturday afternoons are a bit boring, aren't we? Should we start a football team? And yeah, we'll all go to that. And and it it just sort of seems to be like a pastime. Like I don't know. Like oh yeah, on on Sundays we go to the supermarket. Oh Saturday, oh we'll see if Bournemouth are playing. We'll go down there. And so they're all just sat there, sort of not bothered. I was I was when we were two 0 up. I was saying to like, this is like the least bothered football team collectively I've ever seen. Like you know, and then and then obviously they got going towards the end and enjoyed themselves. But it's all it's all very odd, Bournemouth. Think, yeah, but I mean at the same time, I mean if that if that is the case, and as, as you know, um, fans in the ground. I mean maybe if you're not as as bothered, it's, it's easy to it's easier to sort of get into it. Yeah, they weren't getting on the box. Uh, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, it hasn't completely gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. Whereas you know if that happens at Goodison and Everton yeah. go two 0 down. You know, you sense that they implode and it's four by half time, if you know what I mean, because the angst is, or the angst and the anger is so acute, it was maybe there it wasn't. But um, I can't remember what my original point was. About the, the madness was, of the, the game. Like that, they just, it did they, go mad, but we, 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 did, we were our own worst enemy in making it mad because most of the goals come from, from Liverpool errors. And mm. the, thing, the thing that sort of shocked me, I said this to John before, was that they ended up, ended up having eight shots on target in the game. Now, 
for the most part, and until it went mad, they didn't really look a threat. And they weren't, it, it was only... Carries late. had nothing to do first, that. It, no, no. It, I mean, it, I, I remember saying to my dad after about 40 minutes, he hasn't touched it yet. Mm. Literally hadn't touched the ball. Um, now, to progress from there... There's the to, one, to, isn't he? There's the one, a, a threaded pass, and he, he makes the save at the near post. I think it goes off Lovren and then goes he, out for a corner. He spilled that, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah he should have caught that. Um, and... Yeah, but that was that was about the that was the only thing yeah. he had to do in the first half, and then but then very quickly, or within twenty minutes of the second half, it, it is a mad game, and I think Howe has to be given some credit for that. I mean, to be fair to Klopp, you know, he he, he was generous to to Howe and, and Bournemouth afterwards, but he should, I thought he sort of had to be. But what worries what worries me about Klopp, and I have said this before, is this reluctance, this style about substitutions. What worried me a little bit yesterday is I thought I thought we looked tired. Um, and whether whether it's you know whether it's complacency, whether that's it's an inherent lack of pace, we looked slow and a yard off the pace at times. And I just wonder about the the the, the, the science really involved in here and playing lads for ninety minutes when you know injuries are beginning to take the toll again. And I don't know, I, I, you can't just link injury. You know, Coutinho's one's a one-off. It's a, it's a collision, isn't it? That so I'm, I'm not saying that. You know, there's an issue necessarily there, but I do think there's a tiredness issue. And the, given that we're not playing the midweek games, I, I, the last few weeks we have we've we've just not been quite at our best. I thought the same at Southampton first half as well. Until we got ahead of steam mm. up, every now and then you just think we're just a half a yard off. Passes are slightly astray. People aren't getting quite on the ball Sunderland and, and, and trapping well. it. Sunderland Sunderland, we went time. we went fantastic. And I think over the last month. We haven't quite been at our best since the Watford game. We haven't been quite at our best, and and we and I, I do think we look a little bit tired. And I don't understand why. I mean, I think the money change is enforced anyway. Um, but I, I think and I know that the, the personnel is young on the bench, but fresh legs in, in in this game, especially when a game is going crackers around, even to just to break things up with a with a, a brief interlude where a player mm-hmm. comes on. I think you've got to utilise that. And I know it's not his style. And Rafa used to get. Kane for having his own style about substitution by numbers, but you know if you're pragmatically sort of or not pragmatic, dogmatically sticking to a to a policy, maybe you need to think about whether you're doing it right. I wondered about that as well, to be honest, because it felt to me that you know when Liverpool were on top, okay, to get two goals, but I mean by the time when Bournemouth are staging their comeback, it's so obviously a comeback. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone, like like John says, everyone's suddenly up in the ground. Just two minutes between three, two been. and three, three. Yeah, so what I mean is though it keep but it keeps going. It doesn't change the, the pattern of players. Liverpool don't look great here. Okay, there's a couple of chances, isn't he? Divock swivels and puts one over the bar. Lalana, Lalana has a, a shot, but there was never momentum back the other way. It felt it felt they had momentum in the game, and I wondered whether Liverpool should have been thinking about how how do we just manage this game now a bit. And, and there was no. There was no real change from the bench to, to try and do that. Maybe an extra man in midfield, for instance. Or mm. I, th- I, I was going to say, I actually said to my dad, I'd get Rihi off, he looks goose there, and I'd bring on Ajaria and just put an extra body in the centre because that was where we were getting exposed. Mm. And it was really obvious. I think sometimes when you're watching it on the TV as well, it's even more obvious than, than when you're at the game. And it was just time after time, run after run through the middle, um, players on the half Would you have done that before 3-2? Before Would you have done that 3-1? I can't remember That's what, what I'm asking. Point, because it, it, goes, it, was at, it was at a point where we were winning the game. It got, well, then it, it must be... Th- I mean, the, between 3-2 and 3-3, three, three, there, is, there is two minutes. Mm. I, think so it was a three, feels, I think it was a 3-1, to be honest. So if, I mean, a 3-1... Or it even, might have been a 2-1. I think it was a 2-1, I said that. Um, and then of course Chan gets the goal, and you sort of look a bit daft, then, don't you? You think, oh, you know, what are we worrying about? But 
and it's a cracking goal. But uh, as I say, I, I just felt that there were various points in that second half. You, very unlikely to make a change first half, but second half for a period of half an hour, ample opportunity to, to put just the drop obvious, in a change. To put the opposite point, and I'm not saying I disagree with you, but to slightly play devil's avocado, there is something here where if you're the manager, it's not dissimilar to what I thought was going on against Southampton, which is that we were just doing well enough. That it's not, you know, and then you're right to say that Chan makes it 3-1. So Chan makes it 3-1 mm. and then you are like, oh, well, yeah. you know what I mean? And then suddenly it's 3-2 and then suddenly it's 3-3. And then if he is thinking I need to show her up, but now what he might be thinking is, well, I don't want to take a Rigi off. He might score me a goal. Yeah, agreed. And all of that becomes, a, you know, it's not, there's, there wasn't sort of like a long, and, and, and there, you know, he has got an in inverted commas form, you know, not to criticise him over, you know, he's, he's getting a lot right. But, you know, he's of not making changes. But in general, it's not like it's, they're not, the goals aren't all 10 minutes apart. No. Is me point. It's oh, I mean, you're right to point out the you know the sort of the relatively short time between the second and the third goals, but I, I just as I said before, I think a bit sooner, and I, regardless of the fact that Arigi, Arigi nearly makes it three three, I mean, you could you, as I say, you could have argued the, uh, the case you could have pulled defensive, off a, a defensive change, a three one off because he looked tired and he wasn't in the game and and put Firmino through the middle, yeah, do that or or you know or be, be brave with Woodburn. Yeah. I mean, Woodburn. I'm all for the idea of him being on the bench. It's a fantastic experience for him and Trent and uh, Jaria. But I, I think it sort of defeats the point if you don't think they're ready to come on. If they're not ready to come on, the experience is fine and dandy. But the point is, your subs are there to be used to win games, yeah. not to sit on the bench. Arabo would been on a free all. I was, I was, I was actually a bit surprised he didn't, just because of the energy he would have brought. I think, I think, you know, if you know, Gareth's talking about the, the how the game, the felt like the game was going and things like that. And I think you can change that mentally with a sub as much as as much as what the kind of sub does really. I think if you if you throw Wobbein on him and move maybe for the midfield and move Lallana back, I think you've got Lallana's energy in midfield there. So you've got added added energy there because he, he hasn't been on the pitch for longer because he, he runs a lot anyway. You've got Wobbein running around like a maniac up top because you know it's a it's a big moment for him and, and that's just how he plays anyway. And I think I think that would have just given the opposition more to worry about, I think. I think I think suddenly suddenly Bournemouth thinking, oh bloody hell, I don't know anything about this kid. He scored in the week. Does anyone know where he plays? Do you know what I mean? And and, and start starting to worry about that and, and think about what he wanna do. He's he's gonna he'd have played with no pressure whatsoever. And I thought I thought that, you know, the, the, there's obviously pressure on, on some of those players because they're worried bloody hell, we were three one up and, and now we're free all and, and you know we might be losing this game and you can tell the players are sort of thinking like that whereas you throw a kid on he's not that bothered he just thinks I'm going to score here this is great and so I think it just would have changed the energy of the of, of our team and, and would have changed the atmosphere in the ground and you know we might not have scored because you, you don't know the only one you would have had about five minutes or something but why do you think he doesn't? I think he's being careful with him and I think he thinks do the players are better than him I think there's a bit of that um, I think you know it's and, and I think he's, and I think he's it, maybe it's looking per- at it. It's perfectly yeah. reasonable to yeah. think that other players are better than Woodburn at this stage because yeah. he's, he's literally a kid. Yeah. But he's, he, he isn't necessarily better. Um, for te- or they're, they're not necessarily better yeah. for ten minutes when they're knackered yeah. and he and he's fresh and he's got no. As Gibbo says, there no fear. You know what's the worst thing that can happen? They're going to play ten minutes yeah. and not score. He might have had the the, 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 the effect Fraser did for them if you like yeah. in, in that like, a bit of an unknown quantity, and, um, a bit of a hang on like you say. Well, what's one, this what, kid about? One of the annoying things for for us as fans and for Klopp because he's he, he said so publicly is the narrative that's still going around that Liverpool can't defend, and this was probably never more apparent than this week. I mean, even on Football Focus on Saturday, I'm probably the only person who still watches Football Focus. I watch but Trevor, Trevor Sinclair was saying Liverpool just can't defend, and it's dead annoying because. Up until, you know, we've had a run of solidity. We haven't conceded many goals over quite a sustained period. We haven't conceded chances 
critically because we've been defending well as a team. But the narrative is you can get at Liverpool, and that was very much to the fore yesterday. Bournemouth get one and think these are these are shaky at the back. These, and I think equally there was a narrative around Wood, Woodburn all week. Liverpool have found this this new star, the new foul, and new Owen. Why not? Play on their minds a little bit with that because, as I say, I mean, I'd have just love to see him get the chance to just get us a winner, and then you know that gets us a winner, it propels him even further forward. And I'm not worried about. I don't need to be concerned about Woodburn. You know, he's a great talent. I'm not worried. Keep keeping him under wraps. I think I think we obsess a bit over this. On, What's um, the point? On um, the defender, Gareth. There's Mike's right to reference it. There, there've been been three or four clean sheets. I think we're in a, a strange situation where we're either defending very well or we're not, and it's that almost that straightforward. So that's you know that there's not sort of there was no, no one. I mean, it has happened a bit recently, but no one really dug each other out. We're either defending really well as a team in terms of shape, in terms of everyone knows what the job is, in terms of everything's going really really well, or we're not. Now we're missing massive, but I don't even necessarily. I don't think it helps that Bournemouth go four four two and bring a lad on who plays on Lucas, who's literally bigger than him, mm. like significantly bigger than him. Not just oh, he's a bit taller. It's going to be a bit of a scrap for you. This it suddenly became they're just going to go with him. He's just playing on you. You're five foot nine. He looks like he's six foot two and he's wide. That's what they're going to do. I don't think that helps, but I don't. I don't think it's just the idea of well, Matip wasn't there, and that I think that if you do sort of trace the pattern, it is this idea that Liverpool are either, as I say, they're either pretty solid or suddenly they're not and it's a lot of it's because the way we defend is so much reliant on on shape and everybody playing well because I think when you look at that second half Origi's nowhere and that again he's playing up front but he's nowhere Chan and Van Alden, when Origi loses the ball for instance they're ahead of him they've separated the shape's much wider Milner doesn't look like he has a great second half in terms of shape and you're just left with sort of the, three, the two centre halves and Henderson in the middle of the pitch and everyone else is just all a bit running round do you see what I mean? It, it just seemed to me though as well that there was just so much power panic in, in what they were doing there were so many individual errors that were leading to to goals and chances for Bournemouth and it was you know like Lovren's making mistakes there you know Lucas looked panicky I think Henderson once he gets booked as well wasn't Henderson from then on in that looked like he was worried that he might go and didn't play the same game um, and then obviously the goalkeeper as well I mean the, the goalkeeper goalkeeper doesn't look great on what I think it's the second goal and then he's he's definitely not great on the on on the last one, um, and you know th- this narrative that Mike talks about that goes about. I, I wonder how much it feeds into everything, both the opposition in terms of their thinking, well, Liverpool can be got out of here, their heads have gone, but also what in what Liverpool are doing themselves. I mean, all of a sudden maybe it's in their heads. You know, Lovren and Lucas isn't a partnership that's played together much. So Lovren's looked much much better when he's been with Matip. He looked back to that panicky fella that that we remember from Liverpool games past. I think yesterday. it goes both ways that as well. Lucas has looked a lot look a lot better with uh, with Matip than yeah. he has with Lovren. But I mean, I I just thought it looked to me that Lovren's head completely gone. I mean, even at the right at the end there when he absolutely balloons that cross, that's a man panicking that. You know what I mean? He's able to put a cross in. He's he's a good footballer. He's able to put a cross in in that situation. And the one he puts in is awful. It's a pub team cross. And it's like I, I just thought there was there was so much of that. You know, Milner as well. Milner's normally quite a cool head. Looked like his head had gone as well. And you know, I think I think that was a big reason why Bournemouth won in the end. Just across across the board, heads had gone. There was panic was set in, and they couldn't find a way amongst them to to calm each other to find a way where they were solid again, where they could see out the minutes. There was just no no thought of that. I I was watching it thinking it's coming. This it's coming. You know what I mean? But we don't look good here. It's coming, and and then when it went in, it was fuck's sake Liverpool. But it wasn't a surprise. Do you know what I mean? 
Okay. Um, the goalkeeper wasn't great, John. I don't, I don't think he is great. I think oh, that's the, the problem, really. Um, he's had a few games where people have said, oh, he looks better. He hasn't had much to do. Basically, you know, he's, he's, he's you know, we, we, there's this stack going around, isn't it, that we conceded the least amount of shots, shots in Europe or something. I think he's, and you know, he, he, you can say that he, he gets credit as part of that, as part of being a bit of solid unit and maybe he's making the defence happier and stuff. I've, I've seen that knocking about as well. I'm not sure. I think it's mainly Matt it myself, but I think I just, when he was shaky at the start of the season, I had a little moan about him and people were saying, oh, he hasn't cost us anything yet. Well, now he has. He's cost us points. And I can't think of a game where he's won us any. And mm. I think you want your goalie to 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 get you out of trouble. You know, he's, he, there's, there's other stuff going on ahead of him. Um, you know, people are saying, well, you know, obviously loving it isn't great and things like that. And but if if there's, if there's the defensive error or something, or, or there's a time where you're looking a bit shaky or you're having a bad ten, that's when that's when you want. Something from your goalkeeper, isn't it? It's all well and good, you know, looking well, great if at home. If he saves, to... if he saves at a three-one, if if, the th- if it doesn't go three-two, yeah. he probably go on and win the game. Yeah, and he and he's got to save that. I think I, you know, I think most keepers tip that round the post. And you say it's a good save when he does. He always oh, good save that, but I, I, you're just kind of expecting him to save it, and then he just doesn't. And I, I don't he know. He gets across to it, and it all goes under his da- under mm, his arms. Yeah. It, it's not in the corner. Yeah, the third. I, mean, the, the, I think it's the third one. He's got no chance with. It's right in the corner. But the, is that the, cook? The, That's yeah, a great goal. It's a great, great finish. Incredible. Yeah. But the second goal, you know, and it's a well-struck shot, to be fair. There's, there's a bit of pace on it. But if you're getting across and you're getting your hands to it, basically, you've got to keep it out. Yeah. He, he, did, he did another bad one, though, didn't he? He done one that's like basically straight at him. And he done this weird well, punch. To be fair, I thought that was a, I thought that was a good save. That I think that was a good reaction save. He nearly punched it in. Do you reckon? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to be balanced, really, in, in my opinion. He makes, like, does make one good save from a I mean, I'm, I'm like you. I just don't fancy him. I don't like the way... I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. I don't like the way he walks. I, I, <laughs> in, a, in a footballing sense, you know, it, I, I, the funny thing about him, he's, you know, he, he's obviously imposing-looking, he's a good-looking lad, but he doesn't, he doesn't look he look, he doesn't look calm to me. He, he's got all of the, sort of the calmness you'd, you'd, you'd think, but when, it, when he starts running around the box and... Gathering the ball and there's this, obviously he wants to get the game moving again. I I don't know. There's just something about his movements that doesn't make me think he looks like a natural goalkeeper at all. And I haven't fancied him. And from the from the moment that the game against Swansea, where he where he was sort of stuck on his line one minute, then coming half half a yard, then going back, I just thought. And people were saying oh, he needs to get used to the English game. And I, what I was saying was. The flight of the ball is no different in Germany. It's not a right. It's not a, like a, a, a rectangular ball. Mm. It's a it's a football that has you know arcs and dips on it. Every all over the world, it makes no odds that. Now, that, if you haven't got a natural ability to to judge the flight of a ball, and we're not necessarily saying that here, because these are just two sort of I suppose fairly routine goalkeeping errors. But that that's worried me previously. That's why I've not fancied him. And now he's thrown into the mix, not being able to gather the ball and save shots now. It doesn't need to be a conversation about Minya like this, but people people w- w- would send before anyone had seen uh, Carriers play more or less. People were saying he's the antithesis to, to Minya. He's totally different. He's good with his feet. He can kick, and but he, but he makes saves as well. Well, I haven't really seen any of that. I th- I th- the, to me, he made a couple of good stops at Palace, which were important. I thought he made a couple of good stop, stops yesterday. To be fair. He made a couple against Watford when we came under pressure for about five or ten minutes. But that's across, I don't know, ten or twelve games mm. now. 
And in and amongst all of that, there's been loads of shakiness, loads of shakiness. And I, I don't think he, I, I don't see how anyone can say he's made the defence more comfortable by being having a presence of surety because he just hasn't. Do you think he's pushed them out? Do, do I think? Well, sorry. Do you think he's pushed them out? Do you think they, they, they push out more when he's there? Not no, not necessarily. No. Don't you? No. Okay. No. I think he, but I just, he doesn't command his box. I mean, he, he, he's, he's a six-yard goalkeeper. I think it's me. about when we've got the ball and et cetera, et cetera, and where they're taking the starting position and all that sort of stuff. I take the idea that, you know, I think I he's, think, uh, he's yeah. more willing he comes and does little bits of space. He offers the, as, the, as another pa- pass. Et I mean, I'm I'm saying all this in the context of not disagreeing that he should save the second yeah. and he should hold the and, fourth. And I, and, and I think there's probably something in that and, you know, starting positions and all this sort of new ter- terminology that we use in the game, but there's some real basics in goalkeeping yeah. and that's catching the ball and being able to tip a ball around a post and just ultimately stopping the ball going in the net. And you can give me all the starting positions in the world. That Those are the basics. I can have a good starting position. I can stand on the, the penalty spot and, t- and tell Lovren and Matip to push out. But when the ball comes to me, I'm going to drop it. Because I'm crapping. <laughs> <laughs> it's still my head. I mean, I was laughing about it on Saturday with Bravo and saying, you know, all these things. Oh, he's brilliant at this. He's brilliant at this. He can't save the ball. Yeah. And you, you just... How we how we, evaluate, we seem to evaluate want to evaluate goalkeepers now? It just seems to be warped to me. I just want Neville Southall. Yeah. Just give me Neville Southall. I won't even let me goalie wear footy boots. Playing a pair of high tech. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, yeah. And you know, and and just and just have a have a boss big fella who stops loads. But and and that's that's and I just I just get so confused how the people are trying to tell me this Bravo is a good goalie and he can't save anything. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, but don't I, think, it's I, think, the, I think the Stones' defensive of Carrius is that be, because it got to such a situation with some people in their perception of Mignolet, they just accept anything. It's just be, it's because he's not Mignolet. He, he, he's great. Well, the fact is, it, that's not relevant. It's just not relevant. And it's at the point now where I, 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 I think, and the, the, the pretext to this is that Mignolet was having a good season and we were looking good. And he, you know, I'm not saying that he, 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 he completely changed his game. But he was trying to be more aggressive. He was coming off his line. He was punching things. And we were looking better. There was the anomaly. Well, it wasn't an anomaly because it was the first game of the season at Arsenal where we conceded three. But after that, we're not routinely conceding goals or chances. And Mignolet wasn't in goal then. And I, I'm not saying I want him back necessarily. I don't know. But this fella doesn't fill me with any confidence. Thought, thought Mignolet did, did well midweek. But on this, bravo, Carius. Um, That's Klopp and Guardiola. Yeah. They know what they're doing. And I'm I'm more than happy for you to disagree with them. I'm just I'm, so why again? I'll ask you, and I keep asking this, and I'm sorry. I know you've had a lot. You've had a heavy. You had a heavy Sunday. But why? Again, what what do they think they're doing? Because they know what they're doing. They're not stupid men. They know a lot about football. They've won a lot of trophies. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Is, is that why it wrecks your head? Because you just don't know. I ju- I do this. I actually ju- no. I just actually fundamentally disagree with them. I think they've got it wrong. I think. I think we'll look back in a few years and go, that was a bit mad, wasn't it? Remember that time when we decided goalkeepers didn't have to save anything? That was a, Someone will come along and change it, and then, and then everyone will like, well, oh, yeah, I mean, we it's ongoing. Courtois not that sort of keeper. De Gea is not yeah, that sort yeah, of keeper. Yeah, yeah. Petr Cech is very much not that sort of keeper. He very yeah. rarely bothers passing to an Arsenal player. Yeah. Can't be, doesn't believe in it. <laughs> but Just boost it. Play it. I mean, my, my philosophy is I'm, I'm all for possession football and playing it round the back and keeping hold of the ball. But when it comes to a goalkeeper, just boost it. I just, I just think play, you need, you play just your need, fo- win the second ball. I know it sounds old, old fashioned, but win your second it's ball. Old, it's what, and it, then get down and play, and get down and play thirty yards from their lit- goal. No, I mean it's not. It's, I don't think it's necessarily old fashioned. It's literally what Arsene Wenger's doing. It's, with play, it's playing the percentages. It's literally what but, he's doing. But you know, him. you see Petrček, or you see Courtois, or you see De Gea, and and like Gibbo said before, you see, there's games that you've watched 
where they're keeping their side in it with good saves. Yeah. The solid, the reliable, you know what you've got there. Okay, every goalkeeper at some point will we'll make, make mistakes. mistakes. And also as well, maybe we should give the ladder carriers a little bit of a break in terms of just, just nerves, just being in a new environment, being in a new place. But at some point, he's got to start impressing. He's got to start, there's got to be games where he's pulling off saves, catching crosses. The win matches. And you come out of the 90 and you're going, played well there, him. And we've not really had that. I think I think he he's been overpraised at times for really basic saves. I think you know he makes a good one yesterday, but all he's done is he's basically been off his line quick, and he's made quite a few saves like that. I think in the in the period we've seen him where he's off his line quick, that's one thing he looked good at to me. Mm, that's but, fair but, enough. But other yeah. times, like you say, real basic things, and and I don't think there's any un- there's no no great sign of, of understanding and trust between goalie and defenders. And that was supposed to be one of the reasons you get him in. That that you know he's supposed to be an upgrade, isn't he, on Mignolet? And as it is, we've gone from a goalkeeper we didn't trust to another one we didn't trust, and 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 that's that's a problem when you're trying to win the title. Yeah, and you know, without wishing to get into the conversation about net spend and stuff, we had enough money in in, in the bank from our transfer acti- activity in the summer to be signing a more expensive goalkeeper. And I, I know that it doesn't guarantee. That he's going to be good, but you've got a you've got a higher chance of success. And people said, "Oh, he's four mil because we re- we we um, released the, the the release clause, or whatever." The manager's got the goalkeeper. We ain't the only club who could have done that, by the way. It wasn't it yeah. wasn't a release clause just for Liverpool. <laughs> um, the manager's got the goalkeeper he wants. Well, f- fair enough. I mean, I mean, I mean I'm saying, your, that, I'm your saying, that, I'm saying that for the listener as much as yeah. I'm saying that for you. I'm saying that the manager, yeah. if the manager had wanted a different goalkeeper, he could have, he could have signed. Well, he, maybe, he, maybe he could, maybe he could, maybe maybe there's some financial constraints on that. I don't know. I'm, I'm just speculating there. But what I would say, just in relation to the comments about Klopp and, and Guardiola, no one's arguing they're not really great managers, but all managers have blind spots, and I think, yeah, yeah. and I think goalkeepers. Most naturally can be a blind spot because it's a completely different art. Yeah. Your assessment of footballers can be fantastic, and you might might not have a clue about goalkeeping. You might as well be talking about a, a rugby player or a cricketer because it's a completely different skill set. But there's also the possibility, I'd say, Neil, that, that Klopp doesn't think Harris is doing very well. Like he could have thought he was buying a, a better goalkeeper yeah. than he was. He could be, you know, he's, he's, he was in great form. Everyone keeps telling me about this this prize got, that he won from fucking magazine. You know, um, best goalie in the world ever or something. Um, I've, got, then, I've got a lot of sympathy. For so, that. so there could be that. So, so Klopp, you know, I'm I'm sort of having this imaginary argument with Klopp. Where Klopp could be good sit here, and if it was a private goal, do you know what? I thought he'd be better, and I don't really know what to well, do. Well, no, it's it's worth remembering. For instance, that you know, for, you totally remember correct, you remember right? United's goalkeepers, but you forget all the ones that Ferguson buys in the gap that he never really fancies, and that is his attitude towards goalkeepers. Was he just keep buying the bastards until he got one, and, <laughs> and then he'd, get, and he'd, and he'd shift them yeah. on? And it could well be that we're sitting here next summer and we're getting linked to all sorts of keepers because he's decided he's jibbing this fella, well, and that and that's a perfectly valid way to address a position over time. The issue is that every now and again you find yourself, certainly when you're a side like us, and I've been for the last ten years, in the midst of a real opportunity to win the league. Well, this is it. This is the the key, the key thing. And I was just going to say two things in relation to this. It's important because we're in with a chance, regardless of the fact that we're now four points. Behind, we're still very much in the mix, and we've got you know, we've played less home games, we've played difficult away games, all this kind of thing. Chelsea's still got to come to Anfield. There's a title to be won here. Now, he, he could be thinking, well, do you know what? What I'm going to do now is I'm going to bring Mignolet back in, and I'm going to buy someone else in January, because that's being that's arch pragmatism. Because he's probably thinking, for the next five or six games, I, I can get more out of a rejuvenated Mignolet who, who gathers confidence from being reselected. I take the other fella out the firing line, or just drop. I'd him. be amazing. Um, uh, no, I, 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 I'd be surprised as well. And then I'm going to buy someone in January. But th- that's what I do. 
That's what I do because the, both of them, for me, have demonstrated they're not good enough. Now you're not going to win the league with a, with a crap goalkeeper. I think, and, I think the Liverpool manager sits here. You're saying that, and he says to you. I'm loyal to my players. It's all part of a process. I believe a coach that will make them better. Yeah. That's what I do. And that, therefore, I'm not going to give up on a lad who's playing in goal after 10 games. And I think he can say that to you and he can look you in the eye. And you and he could even say to you... And if, I don't understand this and he could process. Say, and, and he could say, do you remember Grobla's first 10 games, Mike? Yeah, I do remember them. Yeah. <laughs> they were shite, weren't they? <laughs> they were, but Grobla did that all the way through his career. It never changed. He'd, he'd, always, he'd always drop one. I mean, and you, But the thing about Grobla, though, was that his mistakes were, were mitigated by the, his style, which was coming to yeah. take pressure off his defence. This fella's not doing that. I so, and I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be hugely critical of him, but I just don't you, fancy... You just fucked I, him off in January. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I just don't think he's good enough. Yeah, I just don't think he's good enough. And if we're going to win the league, we, we need someone better in goal. It, and it might not be Simon Mignolet. It probably isn't Simon Mignolet. So what do you do? You've got an opportunity in three or four weeks' time, to go and go out and address that situation. Now, I'm not obviously whoever's available at that time of year. All, there's all that, but for me, if we're be, if we're doing our best to win this league, we need to go out and buy a new goalkeeper. I'd be amazed if you did that. So would I. But I, but if I was in charge, that's what I'd be doing. Uh, all right then. Um, I think we broadly speaking covered everything really. Um, Lucas struggles, Gareth. I think it's fair to say. Mm. When the pressure came on, I did wonder if there was an argument to actually whack Clavin on there and push Lucas forward, push Henderson that. forward, yeah. and have more energy. But again, in the same way that the manager, someone said to me yesterday, you know what he could have done yesterday? He could have started Moreno at left back and put Miller in the midfield and dropped someone. Yeah, the manager's gone. Do you want to change? But yeah. also, he's. I think how many changes do you want to make? But also, his attitude towards Milner is: Milner's my left back. He's going to play left back. Lucas this season is playing broadly speaking, with the odd exception, he's playing centre half, and he's going to be a centre half. And I think that's again, that's a management. He's dealing with these lads across the course of nine months. He's not just dealing with them in this one twenty minutes. We want we 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 want the best out of that twenty minutes. He's thinking about all this. But you know, I think that across the course of the ninety minutes yesterday, Lucas wasn't great. No, I don't think he was. He was poor, in fact. I don't think I don't think he was. I think he struggled. I think he struggled just with with nature that he's not six four, six five like you know Matip is. Um, he struggled in that. I think when Eds were gone, his was one of them, and and you know his style is that he he likes to come up high and try and win it because he's played traditionally played in midfield. I mean, it's just worth remembering he's not a centre half. You know, and, and and you say Klopp's putting him there and using him there. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of think. Well, what's the point in Clavin? Like, what's he here for? If, fourth if, choice. If, if in those games he's not playing, uh, did he buy him as fourth choice? Or did I he, think he did, yeah. did. Did he see something where because he, he had a couple of all right? Well, maybe crap he's, games. Maybe he's seen him as maybe he did originally see him as third choice, but but he thinks Lucas has got ahead of him in the pecking order from performances and things he's seen. Lucas has been good at centre half, generally speaking, but he had a really poor game yesterday, and it was his style coming to coming. In front of the, the centre mm-hmm. half was was sort of all wrong for the way that that game was going because they had pace and momentum in that direction, and I don't know it, it, he looked he looked a bit of a shambles, but he did he wasn't playing well from the off first half he gave it he gave it away sloppily a couple of times and I just think he had a poor game, but you can I I can see why he's been elevated above Clavin because Clavin made some terrible mistakes at yeah, Burnley yeah. in the first game, and I went off him after that because I thought there's a limit to, to how good he is. And you know he, he costs next to nothing. Lucas is a really good footballer, but and he, I think he is a good centre half. But I mean, Robbo's right to point out he's only really been playing there since sort of January, as a, and that was a massive stopgap idea at the time. The fact that he's done well there because he reads the game well, you know, I think certain games suit him. But when it really comes down to a physical battle, as, this, as good as he is in the air, this is another one though, Mike, isn't it? Where it's like I, I think all of, I mean, 
you've got to you, you've got to sort of bring it down a little bit and say it's just one game. We, we were unbeaten in fifteen before before Bournemouth, but at the same time, there's perhaps an argument now around centre half where you're like, okay, so Sacco's bombed, he's gone. That's not even a debate. People are having the debate anyway because that's what they do. But it's gone. He said he's gone. He, he's broke the rules. He's not coming back. So forget about him. And then there's the oh well, Joe Gomez is on his way. Well, sound. I really rate Joe Gomez myself, but at what point do you say, well, hang on, you know, he's not, he's not here, he's not available again. He's never played centre off for Liverpool. And there's that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think I thought one of the biggest factors yesterday as well was it was almost a perfect storm of there was too many, there was too many things. There was massive missing. There was Coutinho missing. Coutinho and Firmino link well. Firmino and. Origi didn't link well. Do you know what I mean? For me, I, I looked half fit as well. Yeah, by the way, look so, so there was a load of a load of circumstances, and then you know, blood up the way the game goes with Bournemouth, blah blah blah. blah. All that comes together. Perfect storm, yeah, wasn't it? He was, yeah. To to result in us getting before three, but but I think it is it is really interesting now what Liverpool do in January and what Klopp does in January. I think because like you're saying, we've created a situation now where we are in the league where we've got a real good chance of winning it. So do we just go, hang on, OK, we're just going to stick to our guns. We develop players. We don't go and pay big for a player. We're not going to bring someone in who, who could really push us on. We're going to bring in similar signings to, the, to what we've been making, if you know what I mean. So yeah. I, I think that's interesting because cause you, could, cause you could just go out and go, do you know what? This is the best chance we've had for years. Let's go and get a and keeper. You, and Let's you, go and get a and centre just, And just because you do that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're saying, well, we don't want to develop our players. We don't want... You know, someone like Lovren or, or Henderson or whoever it is to improve, to stop improving under Klopp's coaching and, and his ability to bring the best out in players, which isn't open to question. We're not going to stop doing any of that. And we're not going to stop developing our young players and the likes and giving Woodburn and Najaria the chance to play occasionally. We're not going to stop doing any of that. If they're good enough, they'll get in the team on Merry. But why can't we just start? What we need to do is start acting like other sides who put the money where the mouth is when they've got a chance of winning titles. If we don't do that, you're ended up, you're ended up potentially another 2009, another 2014, when it comes to the last three, four games of the season, like yesterday, where you're three or four players short and you just haven't got enough quality to, to, to compensate. And that would be a criminal... Sturridge is it, another one as well. A criminal neglect it would be. If we, if we, missing is, is another one to add to the perfect yeah, and it, it, he would it, it looks bad at the moment because we've got four or five players out everyone mm-hmm. understands it but that's the nature of the league mm-hmm. now if you look at Chelsea on Saturday they've got Willian and Oscar on the bench um, now I'm sure they've got the odd injury here or there but but they still look strong on the bench We and we've got our three kids on the bench and as I say, I just I just think it's too important not to address it in some, in some way and if that means three players, new goalkeeper, new centre-half then and, and someone else, I don't know. Someone, someone a bit of pace. Why not? Why not try? It'd be interesting to see what he does in January. I'm not sure we will get anyone in, but it'd be interesting to see what he does. I guess it depends on how much, how much faith he, he's got in, in kind of what's there. But it just was. Worrying and he's to losing me. Mane as well for six weeks potentially. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was that's worth a chat really about how we didn't look as good when Mane went off, yeah. even though he wasn't playing that well. Yeah, um, there's no one else who does kind of what he does, and but, but he and, stretches things, yeah. and, he's, and he's one of the ones that's got a bit of pace. Yeah, and so he, so I think, I think when Manny went off, they were like, oh, yeah, we don't have to worry. That's one less thing to worry about. Almost forward, it allowed him to attack more. I thought anyway, that's what it kind of looked like to me. And and the concern with the Manny situation is is not really. You know that he's going. It's it's more that, that there's no one else who can come in and, and do a similar thing. Maybe Ojo's the man. I don't know. He played for the under twenty three years at the weekend. Uh, you know, so he's so he's back in 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 that regard. But you know that that was that was a bit of a worry to me there. How, how we suddenly looked a bit, a bit kind of one paced really after after Manny went off. 
the con- the context now though isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you, you might have just been about to say that. Sorry, Neil. Is that how we react now? So so you know we've got West Ham at the weekend. Say that. We've got West Ham at the weekend. We've got Middlesbrough away. We've got Everton away. If we get nine points there, then you know the doom and gloom's gone. And and that, that's the important thing now. That just Liverpool, not giving ourselves a ton of room for manoeuvre between now and City. No, that, we cause, haven't because it doesn't look like Chelsea are going to stop no. to any great degree. We could we could really have done with City turning them over or at least a point at the weekend. It doesn't you know it's, it does suddenly <laughs> look. I think also you've got to you've got to put into. This conversation about our next three games, how we feel, and it's all very well saying, yeah, we're going to bounce back, and yeah, we're going to take nine out of nine. But Middlesbrough and Everton are away are two tough away games. Yeah. They really are. And to be perfectly honest, if Liverpool get seven points in the next nine, I'll be I'll be made up. Um, and yeah, that might mean a bigger gap on Chelsea, but it's about it's about sticking in there now. Chelsea, Chelsea have got relatively win- winnable games coming up in the next five, but they might they don't necessarily win all of them. Well, we've but, had winnable. Uh, Bournemouth meant to be ex- winnable. Ex- games. Exactly, that's that's the nature of the league. But I, as I say, I'd be more concerned that Liverpool don't get even seven out of nine because I, I think the impact of something like yesterday can be unless you really. I think definitely the mentality is to approach it like we did after Burnley, and you say right, what we do now is we do we do the same thing, but. What we've done since Burnley has, quite frankly, been fantastic up until yesterday. Putting win, win after win, and not getting beat. It's 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 easier said than done to just react like that and then put another run together. And um, it's about just getting heads together. And I I I just think on that on that transfer front again, I think as much as anything, just a fresh face. You know, it, it's always it's something Liverpool fan uh, teams did in the past was just introduce a fresh face at, at a key point of the season. Doesn't hurt. Okay then, uh, thank you very much to Mike and to John. Uh, me and Gareth are now going to go away and speak to. Uh, there's one one thing I want to ask you. There's one thing I want to ask you actually, actually in the context of the transfers. I spoke to a friend of mine, Paul Taylor, this week, and he says this is something they always say to each other in the pub. He said you should think about doing it on a show, and so I'm going to I'm going to ask you, um, which Bournemouth player would you add to the Liverpool squad? Fraser. You're not allowed to say Fraser. It's <laughs> <laughs> the easy one, wasn't it? Um... I've no I've no idea. I think they they had they had a good day, Bournemouth, but I don't think there's anyone in that team particularly that maybe the goalkeeper Boruch the Pope's goalie he nearly carried it in from a corner I'm, Mike I'm, I'm bit, uh, <laughs> yeah, I still think that went margins. in I know I've seen look I've seen the, the pictures I've seen the stills but I still think it went in um, who would you have from I, there no, 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 sorry I know it's not much fun I'm not really playing the game but I you're don't not want, playing I the game I don't, no. I don't want any of them ok Gareth yeah I, I was going to say what John said um, I, I haven't watched loads and loads of Bournemouth but I think they had a good day yesterday I don't think any any of their players that I can think of. I think their left back's quite a, a, a good player, isn't he? Well, is Smith, Smith who started yeah, there, but yeah. he's normally a right back, and I think he's a really good player. Yeah. Uh, whenever I've seen him, and I also like Arta. I think Arta's yeah a good centre midfielder. I think there's a couple. I mean, they would, you know, it, it, it's 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 a semi-serious question, isn't it? It's very unlikely they would be going to, to Bournemouth to be picking up players, but yeah. Um, anyway. Okay, Cook then. after I finish. Flash uh, <laughs> him, him up front. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much to Mike and to John. Uh, me and Gareth are going to disappear now. We're going to talk to Neil Wilby about uh, Betterson's latest book. A few weeks back, there was the release of Norman Betterson's book, which is called Hillsborough, The Untold Story, and there was kerfuffle around that and press. And at the Anfield Wrap, we sort of decided we didn't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, we wanted to sort of give it a little bit of time and a bit of space. And in the meantime, there was a fantastic blog uh, written by Neil Wilby who dismantled the untold story of Norman Betterson. So we wanted to put him on the phone on this free show so that you could listen to Neil, hopefully read his blog, read his blog piece, which we'll put out there for you to be able to read. We're made up, he's agreed to join us. And Neil, before we even get into the text of the Betterson uh, book, 
Uh, and as I say, if anyone doesn't feel comfortable listening to this, we completely understand because one of the one of the issues, really, Neil, isn't it, is how it's inappropriate, really, that the book's even been written and published, given what's still ongoing. Yes, I think so. Uh, I think um, uh, both in its concept and its timing, it was ill-judged. Uh, it, it's not unlawful. Uh, it's not on bail. There's been no charge. Uh, but I think uh, on his own self-admission that he, you know, his attempting to influence CPS really undermines him as, uh, you know, as, as far as it's possible to go. It's... You know, I mean, you've you've read it, Gareth's read it. You both here with me. I've read excerpts from it that Gareth sent me, and and, and I've read I've read your blog piece, and we've had conversations about it in the office. I mean, let's be clear: we're not recommending people buy it. But um, you know how exactly how disingenuous is part of the book, as far as you're concerned, Neil? Well, it's insincere. Uh, I think in its motive, and in fact, it's it's hypocritical. Uh, you know, there's a number of uh, what have been exposed as fraudulent claims, uh, you know, almost to the point of mendacity. Uh, and I've only just read it in actual fact, uh, you know, I, I'm in contact regularly with Joe Thomas at the Echo. Uh, I think he's a grand lad and a really good reporter. Uh, and he's put out a, a very uh, well-crafted piece only last week uh, on the 2nd of December. It's had very few shares on the uh, Echo website. Uh, but Joe's come up with, uh, uh, you know, seven crosshairs uh, and only one, there's only one where there's a, a minor overlap with the, uh, you know, with the flaws that uh, I've, been, uh, I've been able to identify. So there's a lot that's wrong with the book, that's for sure. It, it seems very it seems very selective, doesn't it, Neil? I think that that's what came across to me in that, you know, you call a book the sort of the untold story and, it, and, it, and it, that makes out wrongly in my opinion that you're telling something that people don't already know what it seems to be is a text that's sim- just basically better than putting out there why he's a good person and why he why he has been wronged about Hillsborough I mean that's what really gets to me and really winds me up about it is that his whole this whole project by him is basically him saying he is some sort of victim in all this and I think that that's the uh, source of the uh, of the deep offence that he's caused to uh, principally families, survivors, you know, the Vanguard campaigners, and many, 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 uh, uh, in fact, the overwhelming people of Liverpool, and you know, and, and in the wider areas of the country, like you know, I live here in West Yorkshire, uh, and you know, it, it's been the topic on uh, you know on the lips of many. Uh, you know, he was the chief constable here. Uh, you know, he's not a particular particularly popular man. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think the choice of title was unfortunate. It's not uh, Hillsborough untold at all. There are no, or there are very few, uh, and only to the people with a specialist interest. You know, my, my interest is investigative journalism. I was looking for, uh, you know, the golden nuggets of evidence that might help me fit some uh, pieces of an unfinished jigsaw. It just, you know, it just wasn't there. You've, I mean, you've been challenging police forces, and especially around North, South, and West Yorkshire and Greater Manchester for for many years now, Neil. And and a lot of this, to me, I mean, I'll just quote something from your blog, uh, where you you know, for instance, you say it should also be borne in mind that in his evidence to the inquest at Warrington, Betterson either answered "I don't recall" or "No" to questions along the line of "Do you rec- recollect or remember?" over twenty times. So, therefore, is the reader of this book expected to accept these untold revelations were either withheld from his evidence or has he some had some sort of restoration to the left side of his brain in the ensuing few months? Is what you've said, and you know, you've you've been 
investigating and being on top of miscarriage of justice from those police forces that I've just mentioned amongst others for many years. And this sort of a project like this isn't the way in which it's written, the way in which it's, he's, he's gone at it. It isn't unfamiliar to what you see from police forces who are, who are trying to, to, to keep people away from an untold story. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair summary. Uh, and the, yeah, the most surprising element to me uh, is here's a man, uh, you know, very talented, uh, you know, highly educated, erudite, uh, intelligent, sat at home, really doing nothing apart from brooding uh, and moping. Uh, and it, it, it's the lack of accuracy. You know, it, you know, if you've been a police officer for all those years and you've led two out of the top five uh, police forces in the country, you would have expected a, a you know, a different, a, a different approach, a much more, you know, for want of a better word, an academic or evidential approach. And, you know, that is absent. There's just mistake after mistake, and I'm being kind by saying mistake. It's just littered uh, with error. Uh, falsehood, mistake, uh, you know, wherever you, you, you want to place those on the spectrum. Uh, and, and that, again, is another really disappointing uh, aspect to the book. Uh, you know, I, I've had, uh, you know, reservations now for, well, uh, uh, for over four years as to, uh, you know, the actual substance of the account uh, that later became this statement uh, as to where, you know, we know he was in seat NN28 and really beyond that. I'm not so sure that anything in that statement is actually uh, supported by evidence that would make it fact. Uh, you know, there is now a school of thought which I'm now pursuing and I'm going to pursue with the IPCC that he didn't actually leave the ground by the uh, rear of the Leffins Lane uh, end of the ground uh, and that his car wasn't parked uh, on Claywood's Lane. Uh, you know, because you know the events that he described in that journey from that seat in the South Stand uh, to exiting the ground, there's no collateral evidence that supports it. You know, from arriving shortly from leaving his seat uh, to what he described as a deceased body and an injured man, uh, three police officers and a, and a St John's ambulance man. You know, but then rooting around to uh, to his brief contact allegedly with Chief Inspector Purdy, and then organising a serial near the, uh, the gates to the inner, uh, inner enclosure to, uh, to the Leffings Lane uh, uh, end of the ground. It, it doesn't make sense to me because there's no other officer ever refers to this person uh, and also there are certain inaccuracies there that you know, would have been challenged not just by me. Uh, and you know, th this is going to form the substance of a, uh, of a complaint. I can't be the complainant because I have no standing as a complainant, but I have someone that I work with very closely that is and has that standing, and that complaint will be going in at the turn of the year. Do you, do you think, Neil, that um, both Norman Betterson and, and the people behind the publishing of this book, do you think they've underestimated how how detailed the knowledge out there is of, of what happened at Hillsborough now? Because, I, I mean, there's been a huge mood change nationally in, in, a, in how that event is now perceived. We've obviously had the independent panel report followed by the inquest, but also... It feels to me like that that both of them, publisher and and writer in this, have have underestimated the knowledge out there. That it seems almost arrogant to me that they think they can put this version out 
and, and people will believe it because all this there's there's public information there which contradicts what's in the book. People can simply do an internet search, not least them find your blog, Neil, but also you know stuff that that that's freely available that's been put out because of the independent panel report, because of how the likes of the Echo re- record you know recorded, um, what what happened in the inquest as well. So you know. It feels it feels a strange decision both to write it and to publish it when that wealth of, of information exists. I agree entirely. Uh, I think the uh, you know, the, uh, the motive was one of uh, you know, self redemption or rehabilitation because what comes out in the book to me uh, is that uh, you know he's alone, he's, he's isolated because of although he's not no longer a police officer, he's in effect under criminal investigation. So uh, you know he's um, not able to contact former police colleagues. I think he feels sore about him being excluded from social events or uh, you know policing events. And of course, as a, a former chief constable, he you know he would have had a. a uh, a, a very generously rewarded and uh, and socially fulfilling and professionally fulfilling uh, uh, after career. That's all been denied to him now. But you've hit the nail on the head, both Bettison and uh, and the publisher uh, have massively, massively uh, under, uh, underrated the, uh, the reaction that it was going to create. And, you know, the, there are better investigators than me with a group, uh, and they prefer anonymity. I think you know who they are, and I know who they are. Uh, there is a group that has done the most phenomenal work, has led the IPCC in many areas of investigation, and continue to do that great work. And some of the product of that is seen on social media, some of the product is seen in, in the Echo or in, in, in a wider sense in the national. Uh, at the national media, uh, and you know we're, we're working largely from open source material. We, you know, mm-hmm. we we haven't got the archive that the IPCC have got. If we were let loose on that, uh, you know, uh, the, the sky would be the limit. On all this, then, I mean, I mean, there's, there's there's two parts to sort of what I'm going to ask you next. It's about the it is about sort of Betterson throwing stuff into the public domain. What you say there that he now sort of feels like he's on the outside of the police. And as part of that, the conduct of the uh, of the QCs representing uh, the the police in the uh, in in the inquest just gone. I mean, I personally don't think, and I don't know what you think, but enough's been made of that conduct. It doesn't get a mention from Betterson in his book, according to both you and Gareth. But you know that that there was the the way in which the the forces are now trying to trying to look after themselves is exceptionally aggressive. And do you think this is either part of this, or do you think this is separate to it? And instead, Betterson trying to look after himself. Um, I, I think that there's possibly two uh, parts to the answer to that question. And, uh, you know, Bettison is wanting to uh, solve himself, uh, you know, in the eyes of his family principally. You know, the book is dedicated for better or for worse, I think it's for worse, uh, to his two granddaughters, uh, Olivia and Freya. They're going to have to live with this. If this book is not withdrawn and pulled, and I still hope that it may well be, uh, you know, their name is going to be attached to this as they grow up. Uh, you know, that's as legacy for him to have uh, uh, left. As far as the motive uh, uh, for the rest of it or uh, him enjoying, uh, you know, criticism at the inquest, I, did, I, didn't, uh, uh, I didn't sense that at all. Um, mm. But what, what I think the book does try to do is to uh, paint the picture that he's done all his career of, you know, all police are wonderful and uh, we do a difficult, dangerous job. Uh, you know, that, that style of narrative and also almost to ingratiate himself 
uh, you know, back within policing circles because, you know, I think he's seen as largely a pariah uh, at the moment. Uh, but the absence of criticism, particularly of, uh, of uh, John Begg, uh, and of course he mentions Begg late in the book, uh, in a different context entirely. Yeah, uh, Begg was retained by uh, the West Yorkshire Police Authority to find a way to uh, remove uh, Beckerson from office. Uh, so you know, there, there, there was an opportunity there to criticise Begg, and I think most of the opprobrium uh, uh, you know, would be directed at John Begg, some of it at Fiona Barton, uh, you know, some of it at the Police Federation team, but at the end of the day, it was the Police Federation legal team that drew out the, uh, you know, the fatal uh, admission from David Duckenfield, you know, that he, he, that he, he was negligent and that he wasn't a capable match commander. So, uh, but the absence of criticism of the uh, the line that was run at the uh, inquest, uh, uh, you know, is telling. The other thing as well, go on, Gareth. I was just going to say that, I mean, another line that, that, that jumped out to me as well is that I think there's a an awful underlying tone to this Betterson, uh, this Betterson book as well, that he, he, he he's repeating some of the lies that have taken, you know, 27 years to stamp down, really. I mean, he, he puts in there sort of, you know, there's this huge explanation about passing on of tickets and how, how there's a big demand for to get to Liverpool matches and it's almost repeating you know I'll, Sub- I'll, subliminal smears yeah it, it, you know he doesn't he doesn't go into detail and say it's the fans fault you know but 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 those those themes underline some of the stuff he talks about in the book and you know that again he's, he's trying to drag reputations through the mud it feels like and for, for the benefit of himself Yes, I, I think that's right. I think they've been described as, uh, as subliminal smears, and I think that's what they are. It's almost as though, you know, he replants the idea in the head. And going back to his statement, uh, you know, if he didn't take that uh, western route out of the ground, he took a southern route out of the ground, back out onto Middlewood Road and down to Hamilton, uh, well, either to the ground or from the ground, he wouldn't have passed any, uh, any ticket towers, he mm. wouldn't have passed any drinking fans. So, you know, we, you know, we have that uh, question mark returning. But to me, it made it, it coming so close after the uh, uh, inquest finding, you know, the, the families and the survivors are looking to find some sort of uh, some sort of peace now, uh, and I think to bring all that up again, uh, albeit he's, he's uh, qualified that by saying, well, I brought it up just to explain that, uh, you know, they were not factors in the findings of the Taylor Inquiry or the, uh, or the second inquest, but, uh, you know, it made me and many, many, many other people I've spoken to extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean that, that that's clearly distressed people that didn't need any more distress. You know, the families that have fought all these years to get where they are now. I mean, what is encouraging though, and it, it, it's weird almost to call it a positive, but it, but I think it is a positive to say what what has been good for me out of this Betterson book is is the national media reaction to it. For instance, you know, Betterson, I think behind the scenes must be delighted that he gets the platform of Newsnight to talk about his book. And yet, then he's taken down. You know, he's taken down on Newsnight in front of a national audience, and from uh, the very start, from yeah, from from, from moment one. And I, I think if you look at his face and his demeanour and the way he spoke in that that interview, that is not what he expected. No, he, uh, funny enough, I've, reviewed, uh, I've been on the Anfield rap 
uh, just to revisit my blog, where I actually played the full ten minutes of the uh, uh, of the interview this morning, and uh, he, you know Evan Davis puts him on the back foot from minute one, and if, you know he is a man that wears his uh, uh, you know wears his feelings on his uh, on his face and his sleeve, and he never really recovered from that, and and that's to uh, that's to Evan's credit, uh, and you know he kept him firmly planted on the back foot throughout that uh, interview. To be perfectly true for that's the only interview I've seen because I, I didn't really want to, uh, I, you know, I didn't really want to sort of join in the, uh, you know, the publicity stunt because you know, that's that's what it's demand to. And he's telling the book is entitled to do the rounds of the uh, of the media, but never in his imagination, either his or the uh, the publishers, could they have contemplated getting the reaction that they did. Uh, and to be slaughtered, you know, in every uh, uh, every national press outlet out that I've read, um, you know, must have been a very, very uncomfortable feeling for him over the uh, over the few days. And I'll go back to the point then, uh, you know, about Olivia and Freya, uh, you know, his, uh, his his stepdaughter, his wife. You know, how uncomfortable has all this made his family? So, you know, the, the project has completely backfired. Uh, and you know, I, I, I just hold no sympathy at all. I don't hold any venom. Uh, I just wish he'd not have written the uh, written the book. You know, he should have waited for the uh, you know for the IPCC investigation to conclude and for the CPS to decide whether there are charges. Uh, and then uh, there might have been an opportunity to come out and say something, um, but not not in the style and the content of the book as it's been presented. I think it's been uh, you know it's, I think it's been a disaster. Okay, huge thank you to Neil Willby there uh, for coming on the Anfield Wrap this week and talking to us about this. We will push that piece uh, that he's written uh, through all of our channels across the next 24, 48 hours after you're listening to this. If you're listening to it on Monday stroke Tuesday, you should be able to see it somewhere there quite easily. Uh, It's very much worth reading. It's a long piece, but it's very, very thorough indeed. A very forensic going over of what's what's been written there by uh, by Norman Betterson. A huge thank you to Neil, everyone else who's contributed to this week's show. Uh, That's the Anfield Wrap. Sports Social Podcast Network.